Welcome to the Why on Earth Community Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron William Perry. And today, we have a very special episode for you as we're visiting here with Artem Nikolkov. Hi, Artem. Hello, Aaron. How are you doing? Doing great. And I'm visiting with you here uh, at your location. It's an honor to be here. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm just thrilled to have you here. And this is the, uh, the, the writer's cottage here at Elk Run Farm uh, and also the headquarters for our work at the Why on Earth community. And today, in celebration of our 100th podcast episode, Artem and I were talking and thought it would be great for him, actually, to interview me. Um, and so, without further ado, I'll, I'll hand the reins to you, Artem, and uh, take it away. Yeah, thank you, Aaron. It's uh, truly an honor being here, and congratulations on the 100th episode. That has must have been quite a journey. I know it has been a journey because I've been a part of it editing the various episodes and the number of interviews that you've held with so many amazing individuals. Um, so I'm really curious to hear where you personally feel right now with the Wine Earth podcast and what your vision is for the future for the podcast uh, itself and uh, maybe in the larger sense for Wine Earth community. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's exciting to sort of be at this milestone and, and both reflecting back on the last, you know, 99 episodes and also thinking ahead to what's next. And, uh, you know, this time of year being kind of the depths of winter is, is really seasonally speaking a, a perfect time to be doing that kind of reflection. Um, but I got to say one thing, which is this, that Artem... Uh, a huge uh, thank you uh, and uh, sincere gratitude to you and your company, Earth Coast Productions, and your team, Jordan, Josh, everybody over there. And uh, for, for those who don't know, Artem is on the board of directors of the Why on Earth community and has been uh, tremendously integral to everything we've been doing the last few years. Uh, and with Earth Coast Productions has been incredibly generous with his time and expertise helping us do all the stuff that we're doing with digital media and and uh, web uh, resources and all that kind of stuff so um, there, there's a certain uh, you know rhyme and reason uh, behind the fact that we chose to do this together and of course you're also through Earth Coast Productions you're doing video uh, work with all kinds of different great organizations and thought leaders uh, engaged in these questions of stewardship and regeneration and sustainability and health and wellness and community and culture and art. And uh, so it's just really fun to be a, a part of your growing body of citizen journalism, uh, you know, as, as you're doing your work out, out in the community. Um, so thank you. Yeah, um, you're welcome. And it has been fun being a part of that journey and supporting why on Earth through the website and making the iterative changes there, um, seeing how you are really uh, developing the vision for Why on Earth and continuing to build out the community and communicating, connecting with so many diverse individuals. Um, it's incredible listening to the number of topics that you bring up from biodynamics to sustainable farming to um, getting into energy and economics. And yeah. uh, I mean, it, it really seems like there, there isn't a topic that you 
haven't touched or won't touch. And that's incredible because what the world needs right now is for people to understand that this is truly a holistic approach. Mm. Um, This change that we're all talking about and bringing and stepping into a livelihood that we can all be proud of, of the way that we step on this earth, it takes that holistic approach where we're looking at every facet of our lives from a new perspective through a new lens. Um, you, you know, using media terminology. Um, and uh, you, you do that really well. And I'm really excited to see where you go next with it. Um, and as we are coming out of this COVID moment culturally, um, you know, the vaccine is out there. People are getting vaccinated and uh, people, uh, however, you know, you may feel about that, I think the world is opening up um, and it's, it will still take a few more months, but we will be gathering in person soon enough, it seems. And um, I look forward to seeing Why on Earth on the road and visiting conferences and engaging with folks in, uh, in that way uh, as you've continued to do so digitally uh, yeah. through digital means as much as possible. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious what you... Uh, see what's around the corner there yeah it's uh it's it's a it's an interesting question for me uh to think about and partly uh, i think provides the opportunity to talk about how this whole podcast thing got started in the first place right because it's not like we sat down with our other board members that's brad lidge and, and katie garces uh and said oh we should launch a podcast like that strategically makes a ton of sense we that wasn't actually how that happened Instead, it, it emerged and evolved very organically. And I know uh, you and I, we were up visiting Sustainable Settings, one of the, the sort of mothership uh, biodynamic farms here in Colorado, uh, for a workshop and, and interviewed Brooke and interviewed Brooke Levan and interviewed Stephanie Sison. And, and suddenly we had a couple episodes. And then, you know, through Zoom, I interviewed Nancy Tuckman from the University of uh, Loyola at Chicago, and she has gone on to found an entire college there now, um, the Sustainability School. And, uh, you know, Reverend uh, Fletcher Harper and Judith Schwartz, those, those were the first five episodes we did, and um, thought, gosh, huh, this is actually a really interesting way for us to complement our on-the-ground community mobilization work where we're doing things with permaculture and biodynamics and soil and fermentation of, of fruits and vegetables. And, and this digital communication allows us in a very succinct format to help share and amplify the voices, the wisdom, the knowledge of so many different educators, thought leaders, scientists, farmers, herbalists, uh, authors. And it just kind of kept rolling. And uh, it's been so much fun uh, connecting with all of these different folks that we've had on the podcast thus far. And with, with an eye to how important community is, especially in these times, it's actually a very potent way, almost like mycelia in a forest, to network with a variety of different thought leaders, organizational leaders, and folks who are, are also committing substantial uh, parts of themselves and their lives and their professions to this regenerative and stewardship work. And so the community building aspect of all of this is, is really what I think has surprised me most uh, about the podcast series. And so now thinking about the next 100 episodes, it's like, 
boy, this is this is going to be absolutely tremendous because I think we're going to continue to network and, and link up with folks, not only for the purpose of the episode, but also to figure out how can we best collaborate going forward. And that those kinds of conversations um, have been emerging more and more uh, as, as we've been uh, doing different uh, different episodes with folks. I, I think about John Liu, the founder of Ecosystem Restoration Camps, and now we're in conversations about collaborating with that global network to help launch uh, restoration camps right here in Colorado, right here at Elk Run Farm with our friends Nick and Marissa with Drylands Agroecology Research and others in the region. Um, similarly, you know, our 99th episode was with David Beasley, the executive director of the United Nations World Food Program, which was awarded the 2020 Nobel Peace Prize. And we're beginning conversations with them about how do we help their efforts, how do we collaborate with them around regenerative work in these communities all, all around the world that absolutely need to do soil regeneration work, absolutely need to do water stewardship work, absolutely need to create more food security in their communities. And so there are very real uh, reasons to take action flowing from the conversations that we're having in these episodes. And it, it, that's really what I think I'm probably most excited about. And uh, of course, we're cooking up a handful of exciting developments in, in the Why on Earth community that we'll be sharing uh, through the course of this year. Um, and, you know, we can talk about that a little later on in our, our conversation, but uh, I'm, I'm really just feeling a lot of, of gratitude and enthusiasm, Artem, about uh, what's, what's coming next with the podcast. Mm. Yeah, definitely exciting times ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, so you mentioned regenerative camps. Uh, what is that all about? What's the concept behind it? Yeah, the ecosystem restoration camps movement um, is now... Uh, in many countries around the world, um, I, the count may be around 30, and, and they are experiencing explosive growth right now, which is absolutely wonderful and needed and also you know, creates some challenges. But the basic idea is that communities come together for direct action to restore landscapes, working with permaculture techniques by and large. Some are incorporating biodynamic uh, practices, uh, silva pasture, um, uh, holistic management, creating uh, Edens essentially uh, in different spots around the world, many of which are, are, are deserts or have been desertified or are severely what's called brittle in an ecological sense, uh, which means are on the front lines of expanding desertification around the world, which is one of the severe uh, challenges and risks we face as a global society right now. And so these camps are hundreds and thousands of people mobilizing on the ground with the soil, with plants, planting millions of trees and restoring landscapes. And in many cases, bringing back greater rainfall and and precipitation and helping restore uh, balance to the water systems in places that thousands of years ago or even hundreds of years ago were known to be more lush and fertile. And um, so it's a great honor and I think very important for us to collaborate with ecosystem restoration camps here in our region. And I think part of what we'll be doing through our ambassador network is encouraging others in Colorado, around the United States and globally to engage and get involved and and help create even more of these camps as we go forward. Mm. Yeah, um, and 
what is the Wine Earth Ambassadorship Program for those that might not be aware of what, what that's about? Yeah, yeah, this has been another one of these really fun sort of organic uh, things that have evolved over the last couple of years. We now have something like three to 400 people engaged as ambassadors of the Wine Earth community. Many, many are in the United States, but many are um, all around the globe. And as we've been growing as a small nonprofit organization, we've been uh, developing more tools and framework and infrastructure uh, to help support our ambassadors' work in their respective communities to do this community mobilization work for climate action, soil regeneration, cultural kindness, health and wellness, neighborhood resilience. And so we're having a lot of fun now at that point of critical mass where we've got um, our ambassador badge system where ambassadors can get you know, acknowledge for different accomplishments. If you've taken a permaculture design course, that's a badge, for example. Um, we've got a lot of ambassadors publishing their own videos, in some cases even podcast episodes, even art and, and papers uh, that are all available for the public on the wineearth.org website. Uh, that's the ambassador publications page. And then we also have ambassador resources where we're sharing some very special behind-the-scenes resources with ambassadors that are fully activated. To get to those, you have to become a fully activated ambassador, and there are a few requirements to get to that level. But essentially, we're, we're now engaged with you know a few hundred folks, and not only are we going to deepen what that means for that uh, initial uh, network in our community, but we're also going to be expanding, bringing in more and more new ambassadors to our ecosystem. And this is where partnerships and collaboration with organizations like the Ecosystem Restoration Camps becomes even more potent, uh, essentially amplifying our efficacy as, a, as an organization. We don't want to reinvent every wheel. We want to collaborate. It's time to mobilize on a planetary scale. And, you know, we're, we're living in a moment right now where these next few months and few years, literally these next three years, are, are critical in terms of what we're choosing as individuals, as communities, and, and as society. Yeah, I know observing the ambassadorship uh, profiles and network grow has been really exciting for me, uh, seeing some of the names and faces pop up on, on the site and knowing that there are people all over the world that are contributing and uh, really getting tuned into what you're doing um, and spreading that message and, more importantly, um, activating their own networks and locations where you're you're not so that's the wonderful thing about technologies we can use it for good and continue to network and really connect with people to with whom otherwise we would just not really be able to connect and yeah um it's so true and i, I want to give a shout out to our couple of our uh, interns and uh, one is jake matias who's uh studying um in, environmental studies at the University of Oregon preparing to go into environmental law. And the other is my son, Hunter Chestnut Perry. And these two young men are, are doing so much to develop our ambassador resources. And we've already got a number of these profiles launched in live that folks can go to through the website to see what individuals are doing in different locations um, and see some of their videos and so on. And uh, so, yeah, we, we've got, I think, at this point, Artem, a, a really solid uh, foundation that we've developed uh, with you primarily these last few years, and now are at a point where we can really uh, help to cultivate the growth uh, 
and the expansion and the amplification of all of our efforts uh, within the ecosystem. Yeah, and what are some of the other uh, parts of the ecosystem? Uh, I know you're also very focused on why on earth approved. Uh, what is yeah. that all about? So, within all of this regenerative work, there, there really are two categories, I think, that we can think about broadly. And this is sort of trying to distill it down to very sort of simple frameworks. And, and so it's naturally oversimplifying something that's actually rather uh, complex and nuanced in reality. However, I think it's helpful to understand that part of what we're doing with our regenerative work is with living systems. This is soil and plants and food and, of course, the living systems of our own uh, bodies and physiology. The other part of our regenerative work is with human constructed systems like economics and like uh, psycho-spiritual frameworks. And this is where we get into realms like psychology and, and uh, the, the deeper uh, reaches of, of economics, science and theory. And you know, for some of us that might sound horrible. Uh, but for others, there's actually a lot of really important, innovative work happening right now in these fields. And we, you know, for in instance, recently had John Fullerton on from the Capital Institute talking about regenerative economics. And he has put forth eight principles that he sees as uh, identifying and properly describing what it means to do regenerative economics. And uh, I'm actually deep in a, a lot of writing on this topic being presented in the, uh, the form of a novel and screenplay. And I, I know we'll talk about that a little later, but the, the economics piece is so important. And our word economics comes from this Greek word oikos, which, which means home, and has implied in it the concept of community and relationships, right? And it's also where we get our word ecology. So we have to figure out as a global society can we do regenerative economics? Can we do economics without exploitation of humans? Can we do economics without exploitation of the living biosphere? And we've got to answer those two questions in the affirmative as quickly as possible to get where we want to go. And if we don't answer those two questions in the affirmative as a global society, we're probably not going to like at all what the consequences are associated with the alternative paths. So we've got a lot of work to do. Time is of the essence. And uh, the, the realm of economics is absolutely critical right now. Now, to, for us to properly do the work in the economics sphere comes back to our human psychology and, and to our heart. And as cliche or cheesy as that may sound to some, I, I implore you to consider that it's actually literally the most important factor at this stage. And without the heart and without the cultivation of compassion and without the opening of our willingness to feel uh, and to heal, uh, the, the technical aspects of the economic questions may not by themselves get us where we want to be. Hmm. Yeah, and taking that into account, I, I know for some folks out there, uh, they are very inspired by the notion that you're describing, and we obviously don't have a whole lot of time. Time is of the essence in all of that. And how would you recommend, um, or what, what do you typically say to individuals who might be thinking that their efforts might not go as far, or it might be a drop in the bucket, or 
uh, just what, what is that one action that someone might do to uh, keep uh, steering the ship towards regenerative and ecologically sound? You want to try to boil it down to one? That's so so ambitious. <laughs> so, and I notice as the person who's ordinarily sitting in the other seat doing the interview, I actually didn't answer the question you asked previously about why on earth approved, um, which is funny. And and you know sometimes when we're interviewing folks, it's kind of hilarious the way the conversation weaves and flows like a river might. Right. But uh, you know, just getting to the why on earth approved question for a moment because I think it does uh, provide a segue into the question you just asked. Um, one of the ways we're experimenting with regenerative economics within the context of the Wyanders community is through a number of uh, financial and economic partnerships, right? So this is where we're working with Why on Earth approved uh, companies and organizations like Earth Hero. And Earth Hero has thousands of products that are fair trade, environmentally friendly, non-toxic, that we can purchase for our home, our kitchen, our, our bathroom, uh, as opposed to all of these other uh, products out there that don't have the same social and environmental stewardship uh, guaranteed in, in the companies making them. And uh, Earth Hero, you can click through from the whyonearth.org website on the sponsor partner page, click through the icon to them, get a discount when you shop with them, and a portion of the proceeds comes back to the Wyanders community, right? Mm -hmm. And we've got Liquid Trainer with a really fun home exercise um, setup that deals with water. Um, we've got growing spaces, the geodesic uh, grow-dome greenhouses that are really wonderful. Purium, uh, organic uh, supplements and uh, uh, other products that are helpful to your, your physiology. And Zeal, of course, doing sunglasses and goggles from plant-based plastics and recycled plastics. And are very excited to announce now that uh, we're officially connected with Patagonia in this way. And uh, we, we haven't, haven't made this public yet. I guess the podcast will be part of the, the announcement. But uh, we're thrilled to have this partnership uh, with Patagonia as an affiliate. So... Similarly, you can click through the Patagonia logo on our website, on our sponsors and partnership page, and uh, shop with Patagonia, and a portion of those proceeds will come back to us. If you spend a certain amount, you'll get free shipping as, as a benefit and a bonus. And this is all part of our uh, nonprofit regenerative economic ecosystem. Those of us in the nonprofit world know that uh, the ongoing financing of our efforts is one of the great challenges we face as organizations. And a lot of our support comes from the generous and ongoing uh, donations from folks like the Brad and Lindsay Lidge Foundation. And of course, Earth Coast Productions is tremendously generous as well, Artem and, and others. And uh, through our expanding Why on Earth Approved ecosystem of partnerships, this basically means you can go in and do your shopping and a portion of those proceeds comes right back to help fund our community mobilization work and our podcast series, along with our other uh, resources. Um, and, and so it's a, it's a segue to talking about that there is so much we can do as individuals, not only in terms of how we're spending our dollars as conscious consumers, but also about what we can be doing in our own communities. And I think most importantly, 
cultivating that relationship with the living biosphere, with soil and trees and water, and engaging in the practices of stewardship and regeneration at whatever scale uh, is easy for us to do. And if we're already at a certain scale to think about helping to scale beyond that a little bit. And it seems to me, Artem, that we have so much power, each one of us, to do that regenerative work in the biosphere and in the economic system Hmm. and to help transform how we're doing humanity here on the planet as rapidly as we can. And it's so great to be connected to so many different organizations and leaders who are helping this whole thing to emerge and develop. And it's truly a movement with thousands and thousands and thousands and millions of people all around the world already. And I think these next few years, literally these next three years, are where many more of us are going to choose to lean in and engage and be a part of this regenerative and healing work that is underway. Hmm. Yeah, thank you. And it's definitely important for people to consider that no space is too small to grow your own food. And if you have uh, an apartment, you know, getting a window planter and getting some tomatoes going, uh, it's also hugely beneficial to have your hands in the soil for so many reasons uh, and to have that meditative practice and just that closer connection to, to nature to be able to grow your own food. And if it's, um, you know, enough for a salad, uh, but of course, if you have uh, a backyard and uh, kind of your standard American uh, household scenario, uh, there's so much that is possible there, including transforming our lawns into edible food gardens and working with every type of um, organization to help encourage that and to continue to let people know that we all need this and desire this and it's honestly the only path forward. Um, We can't afford to, um, you know, water (laughs) lawns and um, these um, green spaces without actually also receiving nourishment from that Mm -hmm. and and also continuing to foster a really diverse biosystem in the place where we live to really be part of our home. Uh, I hear that encouragement to drop into the oikos Mm -hmm. and stand in one place. And that means rooting down, literally growing roots and helping nature to take root where you live. Um, and how important that is to the restoration, uh, to the environmental movement, and to encourage others. Um, I think that's one one way that it really is taking shape in that way. Is Absolutely. Because of those thousands of people who are living examples of how it's possible. Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah, and I would say that like in, in many of our communities, you know, this, this thing, the environmental movement, so-called environmental movement, has been so politicized. Hmm. Our, our entire lifetime, that, that politicization, you know, goes back probably to the 50s and 60s, back to when Rachel Carson wrote Silent Spring, and certainly in the late 60s and the 70s got highly politicized. And so it's the human movement, right? It's not just the environmental movement, it's the human movement. This is about the future in the near term quality of life, health and wellness of our families, our loved ones, our children, our offspring, our neighbors, our pets, right? And so 
there's so much we can be doing just to stop uh, putting toxic chemicals uh, into the home or into the yard. Hmm. You know, we don't need more cancer in our pets or our loved ones. We just don't. And, you know, interestingly, we think about growing outdoors a lot, but we can do a lot growing indoors. This little simple little spider plant, I don't remember the Latin name off the top of my head, is one to, to show uh, some of the most drastic uptakes of uh, toxic airborne chemicals of any plants studied. It's like the superstar, really, of indoor air quality. So we can put a lot of these inside to help improve our, our health and wellness. And also, these are relationships, right? Here's a plant I'd like to introduce my friend Maxwell. I've had this plant uh, since I was a high school student. I know it might be hard to believe, but that was some 30-plus years ago. And so, you know, this plant and I have a real relationship. And uh, when I'm in here writing and working and corresponding with folks, this is a relationship that is, that is meaningful. And I care for this plant, of course. I give Maxwell water and some biodynamic uh, juju here and there. And, but Maxwell gives me so much in companionship, in clean oxygen, in, in sharing that subtle biophotonic life force energy that Hildegard von Bingen called Veriditas a thousand years ago, right? And my buddy David Giswaldo recently made this Veriditas uh, placard on a piece of wood with this beautiful um, capillary mycelial lightning looking uh, effect he etched into it, I'm assuming with electricity somehow. And, uh, you know, these are all about relationships. And, and here's the thing. This isn't just about, like, we should do this for other people somewhere else in the world, or we should do this for uh, the, the climate 150 years from now. This is about our own personal quality of life. And if you want a lousy quality of life, like, keep doing the mainstream stuff. <laughs> and don't be surprised by the outcomes. If you want a great quality of life, connect with soil. Grow things. Eat things you grow and grow with your friends and community. And you'll have an improved quality of life as a result of some of these simple steps. Now, we went ahead and created this guidebook called the uh, Soil Stewardship Handbook as, as a real simple set of opportunities and actions. And, you know, you can go and buy this on the website. Um, you can buy the ebook version. If you want to get the ebook version for free, use the code FREE, the word FREE, F-R-E-E, -E, and you can access all our digital resources free of charge. But if, if you can't afford and want to pay, that helps support all the work that we're doing. And uh, one of the things we're putting together this year is another handbook for homeowners associations, right? And it turns out that there are over 50 million uh, households in the United States of America living in HOAs, homeowners associations, and that over 50% of owner-occupied uh, single-family houses in the U.S. are in HOAs. And HOAs, of course, are primarily concerned with quality of life and property value. And what that has meant for the second half of the 20th century is lots of poison, lots of lawn, no dandelions, God forbid, Right? And, and spending money on essentially poisoning our pets and our children. That's the reality. So we're putting together a resource to help folks in their HOAs to, to encourage a cleaner, happier, healthier way of doing these things. To, to loosen the, per, the false narrative that having compost is somehow bad for your property value. 
right? Or, or that having dandelions, which is really important uh, food for the pollinators early in the spring, is somehow bad for your property value. So we're really excited. We'll be collaborating with the uh, People in Pollinators Action Network, PPAN, uh, Joyce Kennedy, the executive director over there, and a number of or organizations just on that resource alone. And, um, you know, th these are some of the ways we can help distill down a lot of knowledge and expertise and scientific research into very approachable easy to understand and eat and and take action uh, resources for folks so you just wanted to reiterate soil stewardship handbook right and uh, this will help i promise that's a guarantee <laughs> yeah so it's really building the regenerative communities throughout our entire landscape um, especially in places where we live yeah um the yeah the the importance of people understanding and HOAs, the people who are responsible um, for building those communities, uh, understanding that property value is human value. And yeah. we're coming to a place where we have to be growing our own food and be connected to the soil in that way. Um, and so I'm curious uh, how that's going to be rolled out um, once that... Uh, publication launches the the new handbook yeah yeah no it's it's really exciting to be uh doing the early planning work of what will amount to a, a significant campaign that that we do as an organization um of course there's the the writing of the book hmm. bringing together the images and a couple few graphs maybe just to help convey information uh as concisely as possible then we'll probably be doing some short videos to go along with it and probably a handful of podcast episodes with folks who have subject matter expertise in that arena to, to further uh, enhance our, our communications around these, uh, these needs and opportunities. So it's going to be a lot of fun and we'll put it out as a digital resources, uh, resource and a print book. And uh, of course, however, we've got um, a, a massive writing project underway that needs to get to a certain milestone before I can turn to um, drafting another uh, handbook. And uh, I'm, I'm just thrilled uh, that we're recording this episode right in the small uh, writer's cottage where I live. And literally a foot behind these cameras is the uh, computer where I sit for hours and hours most days um, working on this epic uh, novel and, and screenplay that uh, has been bubbling through. And it deals with these themes that we're talking about. It deals with these times that we're living in, in, in a narrative, um, with, with a female character who has to go on a hero's or heroine's journey. And there's a lot of action twists and turns. Some of it's in New York City. Some of it's in Colorado. Mm. You know, some of our good friends and colleagues are uh, given little cameos here and there as a way to celebrate community. And uh, I'm just I'm thrilled to... Uh, be in the kind of late stages wrapping that gargantuan uh, effort up and um, really excited that once that's uh, wrapped up we can put even more time effort and energy into things like the HOA uh, resilience and uh, uh, stewardship handbook and uh, some of our other um, resources that we're working on and I got to give a shout out also to Yvonne Kozlina, who is the artist who does our children's books. Of course, uh, 
I think some of our audience is aware we've published so far two of these beautiful uh, creations. One is called Celebrating Soil, probably not a surprise uh, that we choose such a title. And then Celebrating Honeybees is our second, lovely. And by the way, that's a painting of honeycomb behind us. And uh, the third, Celebrating Water, uh, should be out in the next month or two. And this is the original artwork I'm holding, Yvonne's paintings, that basically become the book. And in this, uh, in this one, brother and sister are African-American. Um, they're Caucasian in celebrating soil. They're Hispanic in celebrating honeybees. And uh, they go on a great adventure um, learning about water and uh, uh, how it is so important to our health and wellness. Um, here's them driving, you know, from Brooklyn upstate. And uh, so we're just thrilled to get this out there. And I wanted to give a quick shout out and just share that, um, you know, behind the scenes, this is, this is some of what it takes to put something like a, a, a simple little children's book out there. Um, of course, in the back of that children's book, like we've done with the other two, there will be resources and calls to action for parents and grandparents and educators that they can do with the kids um, regarding the, the water and the soil and the honeybees and other pollinators. So that's also part of the community piece, Artem, and it's so fun collaborating, right? And I like to make art, but I don't do paintings nearly as beautifully as Yvonne does. So it's so fun to, to be able to collaborate with her mm. and help feature some of her amazing creativity and talent um, through these through these children's books and it's a joy uh, when uh, interacting with families when they're getting the books and the kids are looking for the little honeybee on every page, Sophia's on every page and yeah it's just, it's just a joy and I think Artem that's another key aspect of all this work we're doing. Yes, we're facing extreme risks right now. Yes, a whole lot of humanity is going through a terrible hardship right now, right? Not just in places like the desertifying regions of North Africa and the Middle East, but mm. also in places like Texas, mm. whose infrastructure, because of, let's just say, lack of foresight by leadership, mm. was not properly equipped to deal with the extremes in weather that are unfortunately likely to become the norm going mm. forward until we can restabilize the climate, which is going to take a lot of doing. We can do it, but it's going to take some time. In the meanwhile, mm -hmm. we absolutely have to take care of the resilience of our communities. And this means bolstering infrastructure. So even just a, a few hours drive from here, folks are suffering just because we got a severe cold snap through some of the disruptions in the way the um, jet streams are moving right now because of the energy loading of the atmosphere. Hmm. And so it's not just somewhere else in the world. This is right here with us, right in our own communities. And while we're facing these challenges, it's really important we keep our eyes open, but that we also cultivate the joy, the gratitude, and the celebration of art and beauty and community. That's what we want to create more of. And I would say, particularly in the American culture, that's one of the things we've really uh, done a lot to undermine in the last few generations. Right. Yeah, it is in our backyard. This is so much in our backyard now and um, has been um, for, for years, it seems like, uh, without maybe as potent of signs as they're now appearing uh, with increasing storms and wildfires and yeah. um, 
all kinds of very strange, quote-unquote, uh, weather patterns, of course. Yeah. Uh, we all know how that all is connected. Um, and <laughs> hearing you talk about the children's books, it's truly phenomenal and inspiring um, that you've taken, uh, again, this holistic approach from that perspective of the education piece of all of this, that it, yeah. it's not, you're, you're focusing not only on educating the public and the masses and connecting with the communities and with the HOAs, understanding the importance of uh, teaching kids and teaching yeah. families around what is really important uh, being alive on this planet, that water is essential, yeah. that soil, really good soil, healthy soil is important, that the health and wellness of bees and um, the flowers and the pollinators a a in a larger sense is so critical. Yes. Um, and connecting the dots, truly connecting the dots between how all of this is one ecosystem. Yes. It's all <laughs> one planet, right? Truly. Um, and um, I know you uh, mentioned there the, this novel that you're working on. I don't know if we can call it by name yet, but... Um, well, we, we can use the, the, the name we're probably not going to actually publish it under. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the book that shall not be named yeah. at, the, at this point in time. Because we refer to it as Otto, O-T-T-O, which is the name of the supercomputer that is part of the story. And the story tackles artificial intelligence as a trope. It's really not about AI. It's just using that as a, as a way to tell a story. Because the main character, she's this super smart computer scientist who goes through a profound transformation in the course of the story. Um, so yeah, we can, we, can, uh, we can call it Otto. Okay. But there is another name. I know, okay. I know you know it, but we can't say it right now. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, and I know that that's something that has been a very large focus for you, and uh, I mean, it's just incredible to hear how much uh, you've been working on, truly prolific uh, in terms of writing the novel and uh, working on the children's book and working on um, the HOA manual and all of these uh, other efforts that are very much part of uh, Wine Earth day-to-day -day operations. Um, and so I'm truly excited to see when... Um, the novel gets launched. I know you've been working yeah. on it for quite some time. Uh, and that's something that you, our wonderful audience, have something to look forward to. And I, I await it with patience, having read just a tiny little bit yeah. uh, about what, what that's all about. Um, and I, I'm, I'm curious how, um, I know for Why on Earth, Biodynamics is a very central theme yeah. to all of this. Um, why is that so so central? I'm sure that is a big part of the story of Otto as well. It is, yes. Yes, um, biodynamics is a very interesting advanced form of organic agriculture and land stewardship. And it works with different plant medicines and different cycles, like seasonal cycles and lunar cycles. Um, things that our ancestors, by definition, uh, were themselves very attuned to and that helped them cultivate health and wellness in their lives. Uh, so we're working in this very rich framework of practices that were set forth by Rudolf Steiner about 100 years ago. In fact, uh, 
the 100 year anniversary is, is right around the corner on his agriculture lectures. Uh, and, and he lays out a system of organic agriculture, land stewardship, detoxification, and regeneration that is truly powerful. Uh, we would use the word potent. Part of why it's so powerful is that it focuses on the relationship between the human, the individual, and the community, and the landscape, the soil, the food, and the water. And that is a sacred relationship. I think one of the most interesting challenges we face in our society right now is that among our technocratic scientific communities who are often doing very important work, there can be a narrative that the, the spiritual aspect of human experience is either A, like not measurable and therefore not discussable, or B, not relevant. And I think that's a huge mistake. And I think that great writers uh, and thinkers like Steiner and Goethe before him, who was a huge influence on Steiner, uh, speak to this. And, and I think it's imperative in these times that we're digging up more of the history of the spiritual traditions of our species and reincorporating that into our modern life ways. I actually believe that our survival depends on this. That's one of the themes. There are many in the book Otto. Uh, it's going to be a, a, a big, epic, sweeping adventure, right? So if you like to read, I think you'll like it. We'll probably eventually do an audiobook too, so you can listen to it. But uh, this biodynamic piece is really starting to grow around the world has been global for a few generations, but is now starting to get more mainstream uh, awareness, recognition, and understanding. Curiously, the wine industry in California has adopted biodynamics in a very significant way because they've been dealing with blight and other challenges in their uh, vineyards that conventional approaches hadn't been effective in dealing with. And the biodynamics have actually been uh, quite effective, relatively speaking. So we have an opportunity to incorporate more biodynamics into our own lives, our own yards, our own gardens, our own neighborhoods. And part of the, the on-the-ground community mobilization work that we do at the Y on Earth community that I absolutely love is we do biodynamic soil activation stir ceremonies. And it's a wonderful way for us to get together in relatively small groups, three, four, five people, 20, 30, 40, 50 people, a couple hundred sometimes. And we literally stir up this beautiful plant and soil medicine and then spread it around the landscape where we're gathering and also usually everyone gets to take some home mm. to their own house plants and gardens and yards and neighborhoods and we will continue to help share in that way we've done over a hundred of these already around the united states and we'll do a lot more of this and one of the things i'm most excited about uh, our ambassadors uh, doing a lot more of is the, with the biodynamics. What's really cool is it's super potent, similar to how homeopathics and uh, probiotics are super potent. A little goes a very long way, and that is getting at the nature of nature. And there's so much exciting science happening right now around the, the quantum and subquantum realms. And what's really going on with life and life force and photosynthesis and these things that have frankly mystified us. Sure, we might have neat little models in these 
books we look at in fifth grade. But the truth of the matter is that these, these most precious functions, like how the chlorophyll molecule here is converting sunlight and other photons into sugars to feed the soil microorganisms, these, these are mechanisms, it's not even the right word, these are, these are relationships that our science is just starting to detect the awesome magic and mystery of. And it's some of those forces that are being worked with in biodynamics that allows us to be potent stewards with our hearts and our minds and our intention and our will. Uh, something that Steiner spoke quite a bit about. In fact, I thought it would be fun to quote Steiner just while we're on this. Here's a little set of notes for, for the book um, that I'm working on. And Rudolf Steiner said something in 1924, right? So what is that, 97 years ago? He said, the most important thing is to make the benefits of our agricultural preparations, uh, the land medicine we work with there called preparations, to make the benefits of our agricultural preparations available to the largest possible areas over the entire earth so that the earth may be healed and the nutritive quality of its produce improved in every respect. This is a problem of nutrition. Nutrition as it is today does not supply the strength necessary for manifesting the spirit and physical life. A bridge can no longer be built from thinking to will and action. Food plants no longer contain the forces people need for this. Now, some of us might be scratching our heads and thinking, what a bunch of rubbish. Clearly, it's a mechanistic system. You only need so much vitamin C and so much protein and you're good to go. Perhaps that view is not sufficient. And perhaps that view is actually inaccurate in certain profound and essential ways. So I would encourage and invite any of our audience who are not yet familiar with biodynamics to connect and engage. And probably you've got a biodynamic farm not too far from you, hopefully, that you can visit and check out. Certainly uh, through the internet, you can get to resources. We've got a number uh, here at the Wine Earth community uh, website, wineearth.org. And one of the things we're excited about having moved our headquarters to Elk Run Farm is that with Elk Run and their nonprofit, Drylands Agroecology Research, we'll be putting together a series of short videos this coming year on things like biodynamics so that you can get a nice uh, introduction that way as well. So yeah, biodynamics, and, and it's a big theme in the, in the story I'm writing. So in the, in the course of a story, it's really fun to be able to share certain knowledge coming from the biodynamic tradition and literally kind of recreate these workshops at places like Sustainable Settings that you and I have been to. Mm. And I know uh, when one of my uh, dear editors, Maura Stiles, was reading some of the early chapters, she responded by saying, oh my gosh, is this real? Like, I want to go to this place. And I was like, oh, not only is it real, I used to work there, and it's like three and a half hours drive from your home. And it's called Sustainable Setting, 6107 Highway 133 outside of Carbondale. Like, you can go there. I mean, with COVID, you might have to call ahead or something. But the point is, there's so much in our world right now that is absolutely real. And most of us aren't aware of it. Growing numbers of us are becoming aware of what's most essential right now in these times. Mm. One of the most extraordinary moments in the entire human journey and experience. And as more of us engage in what's real, 
and become agents of positive regenerative change, we absolutely will transform our world, our economy. We will heal our environments and our bodies and relationships. And that's already underway. And that's what we get to participate in more and more as we go forward. Right. Yeah, something you just mentioned, the way that you phrased it was uh, right on point with uh, the truth of the matter. And the, the truth of the matter is that matter is alive. Yes. And we're all surrounded by a living organism. And being in relationship with that is how we honor ourselves. This is how we bring out our true human form that we are to be the best versions of ourselves that we can be. Uh, yeah. be healthy uh, in that way and um, the way that that relates to plants and the food that we eat um, you know as you were mentioning that when something may contain vitamin C and all of those things but you know is it bioavailable and those are the types of things that we can all understand and um, research and that's something that um, everyday science does research and uh, understand very well how our bodies are actually able to access or not access um, the nutrients in it um, and restoring that relationship is so so vital um, to how we uh, commune with with nature and w with the food that we eat yes. so uh, biodynamic farms and just having a understanding of where, where is the closest farm in general, um, yes. I think could be a starting point for a lot of people. Um, and yeah. the importance of CSAs or, um, you know, there, there's always starting points that, that are available uh, to, to cut in, connect into in, in your local community. Yes. And um, I know you're doing that in, in leaps with Wine Earth and continuing to build out um, resources for people to uh, see in their own local areas w what is around them. Yes. Uh, and that, that's on the website as well uh, and continuing yeah. to be a much larger res resource. Yeah, yeah. I'm really um, happy you mentioned this. We have a map resource on the website. It's a map of the globe uh, where we locate a number of biodynamic farms, apothecaries, podcast guests, ambassadors, and actually, our, our intern team, uh, Jake and Hunter, are uh, working on some big updates to that right now, too. So I, I, I'm really thrilled knowing it will become an even more robust resource in time. For any of you who are connected to biodynamic farms, apothecaries, etc., and you would like to get those listed, just reach out and let us know, and we'd be happy to add that in. And of course... The Biodynamic Association and Demeter have lots of great resources as well, right? Again, we're not trying to reinvent wheels. Um, collaboration is key in all of this. Um, but yes, building that knowledge and awareness, I think Artem is, is not only uh, important, but it also is fun. <laughs> and if you haven't been to an, a biodynamic farm, um, check it out. You might be surprised how much fun you have. And some of us biodynamic practitioners know we can identify one another because we tend to smile more than the average person. And uh, there might be something to that. I want to mention that this reductionist approach to food and nutrition and health and wellness is part of a legacy of our civilization that is, is dealt with uh, in a very 
comprehensive way in the book that I'm writing. Mm. This legacy goes back hundreds and hundreds of years to the rise of a, we, we might call it a patriarchy uh, consciousness, that there are some tr challenges and shortcomings in calling it just that, but a lot of folks think that way. Uh, essentially, the rise of civilization saw with it the rise of militaries, of agriculture, and of slavery. And over time, that transformed as the Roman Empire became a very powerful dominant force. And essentially, uh, through its uh, programs of subjugation of the natives and indigenous peoples of Europe, uh, basically set in motion the biases that would lead to the Inquisition, where millions of women and men were executed for practicing things like herbal medicine, right? So the knowledge, working with the plants, working directly with the living biosphere, was systematically uh, rooted out as quote-unquote evil. Mm. And this spread to the entire planet after the Holy Roman Catholic Church issued the Doctrine of Discovery, which was their sort of legal document, theological document, several hundred years ago saying that native peoples were subhuman and therefore uh, were not entitled to the same legal protections that, you know, basically Europeans were entitled to at that point, after Europe itself had been conquered. And so this is part of the narrative that is explored and unpacked and made understandable to a general audience in the course of the book Otto that I'm writing. And it's so important we understand this because quickly that time of the Inquisition rolls into the Enlightenment and into the modern era and into the reductionist and into the modern econometric and economic systems. Of course, slavery being a huge, huge factor in all of that over the last few hundred years to get us to where we are today, mm. right? And so like the, the way in which the profit extraction impulse and mechanism was attached to all of this weird worldview construct stuff that grew out of that background has brought us to a modern situation where we're effectively poisoning the heck out of agriculture worldwide and ourselves, consuming things we think of as calories and protein and vitamins without that whole life force energy that is necessary. Hmm. And we're all wondering why we have so much obesity, diabetes, and cancer, hmm. right? Oh gosh, what's causing this? Huh? <laughs> of course, the toxicity from our energy systems is a big part of this too. And a lot of that toxicity for both agriculture and energy is coming from the same fundamental sources. So we have to understand how we got to where we are today in order to help create the near future, which is what we're creating. We're creating it. And thousands and millions like us are creating it. And as more of us become aware of the reality of how we got to where we are, then more of us will become very potent actors in creating the kind of future we want to share together. Mm. That is potent. Yeah. Understanding that. And in the way that you present that and are rolling that out through the Why on Earth ecosystem as part of this book and part of the other work, including the Soil Stewardship Handbook, yeah. in, the, in a very direct, actionable way, yeah. I think is really uh, inspiring and the way for people to pick up um, 
you know, the tools of uh, a shovel or um, just your hands, you know, digging into the soil truly that way. Um, and, and being the, the leadership, showing the leadership in your communities by planting, planting food and understanding how planting your own cucumbers and turnips and potatoes is directly uh, choosing this new path um, mm-hmm. yeah. that, that stands uh, a counter mm-hmm. to uh, this model that goes thousands of years, which is incredibly empowering yes. to, to do that. Um, and it's that drive that can only come from kind of that larger perspective yeah. Um, the historical perspective, um, the, the flashlight, if you will, with which you're kind of shining the light of, of context. Yes. Um, so the importance of that context uh, can't be, um, you know, understated. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and there's a great quote etched above the library at the University of Colorado near here in Boulder mm-hmm. uh, by a scholar whose last name is Norland. And it says, he who knows only his own generation remains always a child. And it is imperative that we come to develop a deeper understanding of our history in order to become full-blown adults in the context of the perhaps greatest set of challenges our species has faced collectively. And we're not alone in this. The indigenous wisdom keepers have known we would be walking into these times for ages and there are prophecies about these times right Mm -hmm. the eagle and condor flying together for example the eagle is the symbol of empire Mm -hmm. has been a long while and the condor and what that means for them to be flying together is this rebalancing rebalancing of masculine and feminine rebalancing of mind, heart, body, soul. And we're living in a time where that is underway. And as we choose in our day-to-day lives to more deeply engage in this healing work, we are helping to send all of this adventure and journey in a particular direction. Mm. And I think, Artem, that that's really the uh, the core of our work and mission is, is helping to go in a direction that has us ending up where we want to end up. And there's a great old proverb, I forget what it is, if, if you don't change where you're headed, you might end up where you're going or something like that. <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, let's maybe think about that a little bit. Yeah. So taking that into account of um, biodynamics and relationship with our food, relationship with everything that is supporting our livelihood uh, of just being alive uh, on, the, on this planet right now, uh, and the larger historical con- context of, of all of this, what would you um, wish upon the world if you're, let's say, to wave a magic wand and mm. have every person truly understand and grasp yeah. um, fully uh, a concept, if you will, or maybe an understanding, uh, what, what would that be uh, that would get us um, closer and kind of really help move the needle? Imagine um, the entire population of the United States understanding this one key thing and being on the same page, or yeah. l- obviously larger in the world. Yeah, yeah. I, I, um, 
love this question, and uh, I want to answer it uh, in part by reading a poem, and uh, also want to mention that I'm enjoying some uh, herbal teas on. This is herbal tea made with biodynamic nettles, dandelion, mm. chamomile, a little bit of hemp in there, and uh, calendula. Um, and this is one of the ways we can really boost our nutrition, health, and wellness. Because uh, as biodynamics is growing, more and more of the foods are going to be available uh, at quantity. But in the meanwhile, getting teas is, is one of the easier ways uh, many of us can incorporate more of these uh, incredibly nutritious uh, plants into our bodies. So... Yeah, I think, Artem, the one thing we can each do is become a potent actor for regenerative stewardship, which means having direct relationship with soil, water, and community, which implies plants. Mm -hmm. And as we have that direct connection with soil, literally with our hands, those microorganisms may as well call them angels, interact with our uh, blood and neurobiochemistry. They go through our skin. It's porous at that scale. And boost our serotonin production, literally enhance our immune systems and actually augment our cognitive performance. And there's science on all of this. Hmm. So we humans, right, our relationship with the humus, the earth, the soil, uh, and the humor and the humility, uh, understanding that nexus is a, a critical point in our work as regenerative stewards. And it means we start from the inside out with our own bodies, our own minds, our own health and wellness, and work out through our communities from that grounded center point of health and wellness and joy and gratitude. So I thought maybe a little poem would be apropos, and this is something we published last year in the midst of COVID uh, in the summertime called Poesis, and my son Hunter uh, has a lot of his beautiful artwork in here, hmm. um, and so it's such a fun kind of father-son collaboration project that we put together. The very final poem in this entire collection, which by the way, these are poems from the last 25 years. Um, the first one in here I wrote, I must have been 18 or 19 or something like that. Hmm. And uh, the, the final one on page 133 is called What If? And it goes like this. What if humanity is on the brink of a great awakening? What if there is a pause? And... What if awesome, humble healing powers get activated among thousands of us, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands? What if the great Veriditas, the healing green biophotonic light, gets generated and transmitted across millions of nodes worldwide? What if Raphael and thousands of angels are here now to help us heal? Will you feel it? Will you see it? Will you be it? What if?
Beautiful. That's a fun one to read. <laughs> but I think, you know, that's the question uh, that we can each answer for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we truly stand at that precipice, and that's an invitation uh, for the next 100 episodes. Yes, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's been truly an honor um, to be able to record this uh, with you, and thank you for sharing uh, everything that you're working on and everything that um, you're dreaming into this next stage for Wine Earth Community and the Regenerative uh, Podcast Series. Um, there's so much that um, is at stake for all of us, and the, the timing around this is um, truly potent for us to step into uh, the power around food, our relationship with the planet, and building con the community, connecting with people. Um, there are people part of the Ambassador Network that would be really happy to connect and reach out um, to everyone who's uh, on, on the website and continue to listen and support the podcast. Um, yeah. As a, someone who's in media, give us a like and a share. And yeah. um, I'm wondering if you have any closing thoughts as well. Well, first of all, Artem, thank you. And it's, it's such a joy and honor to be able to have this conversation with you and uh, to mark the 100th episode in this way uh, is, is so fitting and so perfect and uh, just to really appreciate working with you and the ways in which you're making our work with the Y on Earth community possible and uh, it's, it's, a, it's a joy it's a lot of fun we have calls to action yeah you know if you'd like to engage and become an ambassador, do so. Uh, there are uh, resources and pages on the website. It should be obvious, whyonearth.org. We really appreciate the support we get from our monthly donors. And you can join at any level and just click on that donate button. Uh, and, you know, it could be a bucket a month. It could be five bucks a month, 10 bucks, whatever. And if you want to join at the $33 a month level or higher, we'll send you a jar of the Waylay Waters biodynamically grown hemp infused aromatherapy soaking salts as a thank you. And that will help your health and wellness practice. And uh, of course, we've got these really fun hats. I wore the brown jacket to match Artem's. <laughs> uh, that one's chocolate. This one's called Pacific Blue. There's another color called uh, Salmon and then a fourth color called Olive Green. Um, get a hat, you know, that's another way you can support what we're doing. And uh, want to really give a big shout out to all our sponsors who have made these 100 episodes possible. The Brad and Lindsay Lidge Foundation, Purium, uh, Waylay Waters, uh, Earth Coast Productions, Earth Hero, Liquid Trainer, Vera Herbals, Zeal, Soil Works. And, of course, uh, a, a big shout-out to Dr. Bronner's for their support and to Patagonia for our new affiliate partnership. And in terms of other calls to action, get the resources. Uh, that code free uh, allows you to access all the ebooks and uh, the audiobook version of Why on Earth. Um, so you can check it all out, right? And um, if you want to buy a printed copy, do that and I'll sign it for you. But uh, 
more than anything, engage and, and really invite for yourself the time and the space to reflect on these big questions and invite for yourself the possibility that we are living in an absolutely critical moment and that the way in which you respond to these questions that we're being asked in this critical moment is going to help determine the outcome. And what will you do with that knowledge? So thank you. And Artem, thanks again. Appreciate it. Thank you, Aaron. Onwards to the next 100. Indeed. Tally-ho. The Why on Earth Community Stewardship and Sustainability podcast series is hosted by Aaron William Perry, author, thought leader, and executive consultant. The podcast and video recordings are made possible by the generous support of people like you. To sign up as a daily, weekly, or monthly supporter, please visit whyonearth.org support. Support packages start at just $1 per month. The podcast series is also sponsored by several corporate and organization sponsors. You can get discounts on their products and services using the code WHYONEARTH, all one word with a Y. These sponsors are listed on the whyonearth.org backslash support page. If you found this particular podcast episode especially insightful, informative, or inspiring, please pass it on and share it with a friend whom you think will also enjoy it. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for your support. And thank you for being a part of the Why on Earth community.